Good morning, everyone. Now, Scott taught you something as you came in. Christ is risen. Oh, come on, we can do better than that. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Let me pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we do thank you that we can be here today. Fill our hearts with a joy and a certainty in the life-changing news that Jesus rose from the dead this Easter Sunday, so that we might, leave, we might lead lives that radiate your love to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Today, as we celebrate Easter Sunday, I want to speak to us about a hope that is like no other. At the heart of the Christian faith, the Apostle Paul said there are three defining features. There is faith, there is hope, and there is love. And I want to speak particularly this day on hope. I don't know how you find it when you go home, work's finished, the news is on. I know a number of people who have said to me, I just couldn't be bothered watching anymore because there is such bad news every night of the week. And I do like watching the news, I like to keep up to date with what's happening, but it is a depressing tale of woe sometimes. Uh, I tend to watch the 7 o'clock ABC News. As you just hear of stories of horror, violence, um, lying, deception, you name it, it's all there. But Easter Sunday has a very different message. It declares to us that there is hope. And we have wonderful news to celebrate this day. And I've got one key verse for us that I'm going to speak from. Mike, when he did the kids' talk, spoke from it, mentioned it. And it is this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and a little bit of verse 4. And it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Now, hopefully by the end of my time speaking to you, you're going to know that verse well, you can remember it, and it will be something that will help you in the days and weeks ahead. Hope is one of the essential elements of human life. Uh, you don't have to be alive too long to know that without something to live for, people can give up living. You see, particularly with people at the end of their life, when they literally have got nothing left to live for and they give up. Hope is essential for the human soul and you can't survive, let alone thrive, if you haven't got some sense of hope in this world. Uh, deeply embedded in our DNA as human beings is we actually need to live for something. There needs to be some reason why you get up out of the bed in the morning. Uh, it's fascinating to me as I talk to guys who are retiring and they realise they actually need to have something to do. They've got to have something they live for. Many of you will know the story of Louis Zamperini. Who's heard of Louis Zamperini? He's from the book and the movie Unbroken. Very famous person from American history. His uh, life was chronicled in the book Unbroken and it was later made a movie which actually cut out the Christian part but I'll come to that later. But he was called, the book was called Unbroken because there's so many things and so many obstacles that he had in his life that would have broken most people. Uh, he'd run at the Olympic Games before the war. When the war came, he signed up, he joined the Air Force. Uh, he was on a plane that was notorious for having poor maintenance and technical issues and it crashed into the Pacific Ocean. Eleven of the crew were there, eight died, he was one of the three that survived. Uh, they got a life raft, two small ones, they tied them together for 35 days, they were at sea. They battled both starvation and sharks and they were attacked numerous times, yet he survived. 
They landed on the Marshall Islands. It was occupied by the Japanese. He was soon in camp. And for numbers of years, as a prisoner of war, he was tortured horrendously, relentlessly. Yet he survived against all plausible indicators, all plausible odds. And one of the things he, uh, they said about him was he never gave up the hope that he would get back to America and see his family again. And it really was against all odds. Through all sorts of circumstances, he was unbroken. And that's an incredible hope that he had. Some might have said irrational, but we celebrate an even greater hope this day. That was Louis Samperini there, unbroken. But we celebrate the Saviour who defeated death, who 2,000 years ago walked out of the tomb and left it empty behind him. And I want to say to us this morning, it is not an irrational hope that we are celebrating today, but it's one that's founded on the sure and certain resurrection, historically verified, of Jesus Christ from the dead nearly 2,000 years ago. And what I've done is I've picked one of my favourite verses. Now, I've been here 10 years, and every year when I preach on the resurrection, I'll take one of the gospel stories. Matthew, Mark, it's slightly short, Luke, John... And I just thought this year I'm going to do something different. I'm going to preach from just one verse. And it's a favourite verse of mine, uh, which I read before. But I actually want to get us together to read it. And I want you to learn this verse today. Let's read it together. It's on the screen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Three things that strike me about this verse. Firstly, the joy of hope. Secondly, the power of hope. And thirdly, the certainty of the hope we have. Let's look firstly at the joy of hope. I don't know if you know this, but when it comes to holidays, there's a great joy about going on a holiday, but one of the things they've done with some research is the anticipation of going on a holiday gives some, some people almost equal, sometimes greater joy than actually going on the holiday. I don't know if you know this, but studies have been done, and according to one study that was done, just planning or anticipating your trip can often make you happier than actually taking it. Because you go on the holiday and it's stressful and you're tired and you come back exhausted. But in the planning, you're kind of all excited. Now, why is that? Because you've got something that you're looking forward to that is filling your heart with joy. You've got hope. And knowing and believing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead should fill our hearts with a joy unspeakable because it means in this world we have a sure and certain hope. And it's one of the characteristics of genuine Christian belief. We know that Christ is risen and our hearts are moved and we believe and we trust in Christ and we know one day we're going to rise with him on the last day. Now with the resurrection, just the thought of it, when the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians who were scattered in the Roman Empire, just the thought of it and he's praising God. You see, that's what's happening at the very beginning of this verse. Verse 3, he begins the introduction formally, then he just praise God for the living hope we have. Praise God to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has giving us, given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And when you read down in this introduction, there is this marvellous verse that describes this joy that we have. Have a look at verse 8, it's on the screen. If you've got your Bibles there, have a look as well. Page 1,220 in the church Bibles underneath the seats. Peter says, though you've not seen him, and he's speaking about Jesus, and Peter, of course, had seen him, he had touched him, he had eaten with him. He said, though you haven't seen him, you actually love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And this is the the wonderful news of the resurrection. When you take hold of Christ and you believe in him and you know that he is risen, by his Holy Spirit, He fills our hearts with joy and I love this description, we're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. In other words, it's a joy that goes beyond words. Your heart just beats with excitement and love because you know, as Peter says, the end result, the salvation of your souls, you know you are right with God. Christ is up out of the grave, He is seated in heaven and we are alive in Him. There is a right sobriety about Good Friday. As we stop and remember the awful events of Jesus' betrayal, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, there is a humbling as we confess our failings. As we realise it actually was because of us, all of us, and our sin that he was nailed to a cross. There's a solemnness to the day as we recount what Jesus went through. We try and reflect that in the music. It's not a big band that plays. It's a quieter band. It's a solemn service. But let me say, not today. We've, we've, we've moved ahead. The tomb is now empty. Christ is risen. And we've got a joy in our heart because we're celebrating that He is alive and He will never die again. And friends, it is inexpressible how wonderful the news is that Christ is risen. It is so good. And when you read through the Gospel accounts of the resurrection, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, there is this common characteristic about what takes place when those first witnesses realise and when they encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing they experience is fear. And I can understand that. You see, uh, they went there to tend to the body, the women. Some of the disciples ran when they heard the news. And there is this just fear as they meet the one that they saw dead and buried and entombed. And they think, what is going on? But then they realize that this one who was dead and buried and entombed is actually alive physically, talking to them, in front of them, And their fear is replaced by a joy. This is a classic verse, Matthew 28. So the women hurried away from the tomb. It's empty. They were afraid, yet they were filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. I mean, they couldn't wait. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said to them. They came to him, clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. Then he said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And you see, this is the effect the resurrection has on us when we, 
even though it's 2,000 years later, realise that the tomb is empty, that he did walk out, that he is risen, that he is alive. And his spirit touches our hearts. And we just want to cry, hallelujah, the tomb is empty, brothers. Do you know that this day? There is a wonderful joy, not just about Easter Sunday, but it's the reality that Christ is risen and what that means for us. But secondly, there is a power of hope, not just a joy of hope, there is a power to it. Uh, When Peter wrote this letter, Christians were scattered in the Roman Empire and it had reached a stage where there was great persecution going on. To stand for Christ in that day would often mean great opposition, even to the point of death for some of them. Some would have had their property confiscated. The least would have been that they were ridiculed and ostracised. And what you read in this letter is the most astounding thing for the way they responded and behaved. And I take it it's because they had a power at work in them. They'd been born again into a living hope. And I love that description that Peter uses here in the beginning. You've been born again to what sort of hope? A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You read in chapter 1 verse 6, Peter says this, In all of this you greatly rejoice. So what is it that they're rejoicing in? Though for now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. They're going through tough times, but yet they're rejoicing. Why? Because they're receiving the salvation of their souls. How is such perseverance possible in the face of such trials? Because they had a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Chapter 2, verse 12, Peter calls to them and says, actually, this is what you're to do, you're to live such good lives among the pagans that though they're accusing you of doing wrong, they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And you've got to ask the question, how is it possible that Peter could believe such transformation was possible in them, that they would live such different lives to those around that it did not even bother them that they would be accused of doing wrong things? Well, it's because they had a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says to them, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Now, when you're confronted by evil, when you're confronted with insults, what's the natural reaction? I've seen this happen with many people. You can have a shock and flight and fright reaction where you just want to respond back. And this is what Peter says, no, don't respond with insult, not with evil, but with blessing. Because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. And you've got to ask the question, how is such love possible in the face of such evil? Because they had a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Chapter 4 verse 2, Peter calls to them and says, look, there's people here who live their earthly lives for evil human desires, but you're not to do this, rather you are to live for the will of God. And you've got to ask the question, how is such contentment possible? When everyone else is doing the wrong thing and thinking it's the right thing and the glorious thing, how can they have such contentment in the face of such temptation? Because they had a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In chapter 4, verse 12 to 19, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised 
at the painful trial you were suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. How is it possible that they could endure such persecution and rejoice in it? Because they had a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that they would see His glory when it's revealed. Friends, there is a power that you have when you encounter the risen Christ and He pours out His Spirit into your life. And it's a power that will not be overcome by any force in this world, suffering and sickness as dreadful and debilitating as it is, will not have the last word on your life when you know the living hope of the resurrection through Jesus Christ from the dead. Though cancer might rob you of years, it will not rob you of glory. Though people might think we're strange for living for the Lord Jesus, we know in the end we'll be blessed when we're welcomed into His kingdom. Though questions will come if you live for Christ, one day the resurrected Christ, He will reward you. Though it's difficult to live against the tide of secularism and hedonism that floods our culture, we know that day is coming when He will return, when the new creation will dawn and will be with Him for eternity. Friends, what do we have? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And when you've been born again into that by the Spirit of God, there is a power that comes into your life to enable you to live for Him. But friends, it's not just a joy, it's not just a power, there is a certainty to it. And I love the way verse 4 begins, it finishes off the thought of verse 3, he says this, we've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be received at the last time. Friends, this is the wonder of the resurrection. A new age began. The kingdom of heaven invited, invaded this kingdom of this world. Eternity, immortality was brought to bear. And we have in Christ an inheritance that will never, ever, ever perish. It will never, ever, ever spoil. It will never, ever fade. And yes, the things of this world, they will fail, they will break, they will be stolen, they will get corrupted. But not the eternal inheritance that we have in Christ. And it's all because Christ rose physically from the dead 2,000 years ago. It's true. It happened. And every year I give a few reasons as to why I believe it is true for those who may have questions. And let me just give you five reasons, five historical facts that form the basis of why I believe, apart from, if I can say, the experience of knowing the risen Christ in my own life in the power of His Holy Spirit. The first thing to take note of is when you read the Gospel accounts, all serious historians agree that in Rome, the Roman Empire, the Judean province under Pontius Pilate, Jesus was put to death and he was put into a tomb and the stone was rolled across, across it. 
And three days later, that tomb was empty. It's something no serious historian disputes, whether they're Christian or not. They all agree the tomb was empty. But secondly, multiple witnesses saw him alive. And whatever you say about the accounts of the Gospels, they tell the story of the resurrection. And what serious historians agree on is this, the disciples believe they saw Jesus bodily risen from the dead. It's undisputed. And it's interesting, there are five different narratives to record it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And there's also a fifth, 1 Corinthians 15, by the Apostle Paul. And from those five narratives, there's actually 12 separate occasions recorded when Jesus met either individuals or groups of people. Let me give you one small snippet of information that has interested me this week as I've read. What's impressive is, you might think, well, they're all people who are of one ilk, one group. Well, actually, that's not the case. Three of these witnesses had nothing to do with each other prior to the resurrection. There is James, who is the brother of Jesus. He'd given up on his brother, and really, he thought he was a bit loco, a bit crazy. And when the resurrection happens, he's up north, back in Galilee, probably working as a carpenter. You see, he had rejected his brother's claims. Then there's the Apostle Peter, the disciple. Well, he was in Jerusalem, but he denied the Lord Jesus on the night before his death. And then there is this passionate, fanatical, brilliant, but hot-headed Pharisee called Saul. And if James had rejected Jesus and Peter had denied him, well, Saul had opposed him. And these three had nothing to do with each other. Yet they all become key leaders in the movement proclaiming Christ is risen from the dead. And all three of them witnessed him personally alive. The other thing to take note of is this. And it's just a historical fact. There is an immediate change, literally overnight, historically speaking, of what was an entrenched belief system. And you see, belief systems normally can take years, hundreds of years to evolve and develop. But literally overnight, there was a complete change in belief system from Judaism to Christianity. From monotheism, there is one God, to Trinitarianism, there is God, one God who is revealed in three persons. And it happened, if I can say, from a historical time point of view, overnight. And you have to ask the question, what gave rise to this change of belief? That people who were Jewish were now Trinitarian. Well, you can only explain it by the resurrection. How do you explain the just existence of the New Testament? The spread of it, the number of documents, the copying of it, if there was no resurrection? You can't. The very existence of the New Testament is a testimony that Christ rose from there because what fueled it, what it was on about, was this wonderful news that Christ has risen. It's the same with the church. It goes from 11 fearful men in an upper room, afraid for their lives, to a movement that changes an empire within 300 years. 
And I could list out more things for why I believe, but I'll just leave you with those five. And I love how the New Testament scholar and bishop, N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, and he's British, and he's got that classic kind of understated Britishness to him. He said, these three great facts, the resurrection appearances, the empty tomb, and the origin of the Christian faith, all point unavoidably to one conclusion, the resurrection of Jesus. Today, the rational man can hardly be blamed if he believes that on that first Easter morning, a divine miracle occurred. I love the understatement. A rational man can hardly be blamed. (laughs) See, what he's saying in his British way is, anyone who looks at it in the cold light of day, rationally, will say, actually, he rose from the dead. When Louis Zamperini came home after World War II, his hope was fulfilled. He got to see his family in Southern California. But sadly, the experiences he'd been through in World War II, particularly in the POW camps, left him indelibly scarred. And he was tortured at night by nightmares of him wanting to strangle his captors and seek revenge. And it slowly ate away at his soul and was destroying him. To try and ease the pain, he turned to the bottle and became an alcoholic. He had married and his wife, Cynthia, in some level of despair, went and attended one of the evangelistic crusades led by the great Billy Graham in Los Angeles. And she became a Christian. In 1949, Billy Graham returned for one of his greatest crusades in LA. Well, in the world, but it was in LA. And it ran for weeks. And at the encouragement of his wife and her Christian friends, Zamperini reluctantly agreed to attend a crusade. And he says, Graham's preaching reminded him of his prayers during the time on his life raft, when he fended off the sharks and battled starvation and his imprisonment at the hand of his torturers. And he committed his life to Christ. He found a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and dedicated himself to helping youths in need and to spreading the gospel and became a great evangelist even to when he was in his 90s. And he writes in his memoirs that he forgave his captors and his nightmares ceased. And I tell you that story because it's such a beautiful living example of the joy and the power and the certainty that we have, brothers and sisters here, because of the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. And I want to close by just asking you this very simple question, do you know this hope in your life? This living hope, this joyful hope, this powerful hope, this certain hope, that you belong to God through Christ and that your hope and your future has been secured by his resurrection from the dead. I wonder if you don't have that sense of security, assurance. I sat with a lady just a couple of weeks ago. She was at the end of her life, but she was very lucid. And she had some sort of faith But as she came to the end of her life, she said to me, I don't feel worthy. And I said, that's why the gospel is good news, because none of us are worthy, but there is one who is worthy. Jesus Christ, who has died 
and who has risen and who has paid the price for you. And he just calls you to come and trust in him. And with that, you can have hope. A week later, and we spoke and I read John 6, 47, he who believes has eternal life. And I said, that's what you need to do, Maxine, is just take hold of this hope. And a doctor asked her a week later, as she was literally days out from dying, what her religion or faith was. She said, it's trusting in Jesus. That's my faith. And friends, if you don't have that confidence, that assurance that when you die, you will be with God in heaven and you want it, it's simply a matter of reaching out and taking hold of the Lord Jesus Christ this day because He is risen, He is alive and He is calling you to come to Him and receive the hope and the forgiveness of sins that comes as we put our life in His hands. I've got a prayer on the screen there and if you'd like to receive Christ this day, receive the living hope that He offers through His resurrection from the dead, Receive the forgiveness of sins that we spoke of two days ago because of his death on the cross. I invite you to come to him this day and to receive him into your life as Lord and Saviour. And we do that simply by praying and talking to him and saying, please, that's what I want. Let me just read this prayer out before we pray it. Dear Lord Jesus, today I believe you rose bodily from the dead. I come to you in faith. I receive you as my Lord. Forgive me my sins, take control of my life. Give to me a living hope. Fill me with your Holy Spirit in your name. Amen. Well, if you'd like to receive that living hope today and come to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as your Lord and Saviour, let's bow our heads. And I'm going to pray this quietly. You'll hear me. But I'm going to give a moment after each line for you to just repeat that if you would like to receive the living hope that comes through Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Let's pray together. Just pray after me if that's you. Dear Lord Jesus, today I believe you rose bodily from the dead. I come to you in faith. I receive you as my Lord. Forgive me my sins. Take control of my life. Give to me a living hope. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In your name. Amen. We're going to be finished very shortly.